Well, as they, t thank you, as they sang tonight, I trust that course, take my life, let it be, ever only all for thee is your testimony and, and your desire, because that's what it's going to take to get us to where God wants us and where he can use us. I wrestle about where I should uh, go this evening for the service. I tell Barbara oftentimes, I said, it's not a problem of having something to preach. It's uh, where do I go? Uh, it's like a vast ocean of truth. Where do I dip? And the last night is always a little difficult, knowing that I need to perhaps tie up some loose ends and share with you my final message. And I think I have found it. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John in the 13th chapter, John chapter 13. <clears throat> and I like to read beginning with the very first verse, John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. And I will again invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart from this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, and the devil having now put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. He rises from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a the towel wherewith he was girded. <clears throat> then cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said to him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean." So after he'd washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master the Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant's not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy or blessed are ye if you do them. Shall we pray? Father, we are thankful that you showed us by your example how we are to live. But you not only show us how to live, you come to indwell us to live through us. You did not come merely to teach us you never came merely to teach us how to live, but to indwell us and live through us your life, that the world might behold the beauty of Jesus in us.
And so, God, once again, we recognize how needful we are of your presence, not only now, but throughout our lives. And may the very presence of God fill us, and by the ministry of your Spirit, teach us, guide us into all truth, until one day we see you face to face. Thank you for gracing us one more time with your wonderful presence. Have your way in our midst, and we will praise you for whatever you do. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. I think of uh, all the very scenes in the life of Jesus Christ. This is probably one of the most precious and yet one of the most serious that you will find in his whole earthly ministry. Uh, Jesus was giving his final farewell to his disciples. He knew it was just a few hours now that he would be going out to Golgotha where they would stretch him on an old rugged cross and drive the nails in his hands and feet and suspend him between heaven and earth. And there he would give up the ghost for your sins and mine. He had come from God without leaving God. And now he's going back to God without deserting us. And he was not unaware of what he was waiting on or what was waiting on him. He said in this, in this word that he came on purpose for the cross. The cross and all that he endured did not just happen to him. Uh, it was in the purpose and plan of God long before it ever occurred. In fact, judicially, Jesus had submitted to the nails of the cross long before man was ever created. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And long before we ever needed a savior, we had one. Because long before there was ever a tree to make a cross out of, there was already a, tree, a cross in the heart of our savior long ago. Jesus was neither a prisoner or a victim. In verse 2 and 3, we notice this, even though the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus, it said that God had given all things into his hands. In other words, he not only had control of the situation, he had full authority over the situation. They didn't take his life. He gave his life. It was on a voluntary basis, as well as a vicarious death because it was for you and me that he died. Now he said earlier that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And he who was life knew life's origin as well as its destiny. In fact, he taught us that out of death comes life. You remember in the chapter before this one, he said, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit and so he was teaching us, it's almost some paradox, out of death we live. Uh, multitudes have never found the true meaning of life. You live around them every day. In fact, uh, they seek fulfillment in various ways, in pleasure, they seek it in possessions, and they seek it by being prestigious in some manner. And there are others who are bored with life and they try to lose their life in alcohol or some addictions, drugs, booze. And there are those who become so disenchanted with life that take their life. It's becoming almost an epidemic in our society today. And it's a very tragic thing. 
But Jesus is saying to us, if you die, you'll live. Now that's a paradox. In other words, let me die lest I die. Only let me see thy face. In John chapter 12, he that loveth his life shall lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake will keep it unto life eternal. There comes a point where we take our hands off. It's no longer I living, Paul says. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, if you suffer with me, you'll reign with me. These are, this is language that the world knows nothing about. That's why I said there's a certain discernment that comes through the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, it makes no sense. And consequently, he's showing us some of the mysteries of godliness. In these few verses, he graphically reveals to us the true meaning and purpose of life here and hereafter. Two things I would sort of hang in the flyleaf of your mind this evening. I want you to note Christ's mission, and his mission becomes the Christian's mandate. But notice his mission. Jesus knew his purpose and his place, but his disciples had not yet found their place. If you remember, the disciples were quite concerned that uh, Jesus was going to die. They didn't expect that he would die. In fact, they were wanting to overthrow the Roman yoke and establish the earthly kingdom now, here on this earth. They expected that he, he would uh, reestablish the ancestral throne of David and they would have an intricate part to play in the kingdom. James and John were jockeying that one and each one would be on each side of Jesus. And in other words, they were seeking the, the chief seats. They were trying to find the first place. And all the time when they were seeking the high place, Jesus stooped to the level of a slave. And before honor, he says, comes humility. And consequently, he took a towel. And when he took a towel, in so doing, he not only exposed, he rebuked their self-centeredness. And at the same time he was doing that, he was given heaven's definition of greatness. Because you see, whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. The servant is not greater than his Lord. And then he said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Knowledge demands action. You know, I, I have to be very careful that I don't tread on thin ice, but it's amazing to me how many leadership conferences we have in the church. I never heard anything about teaching anything about servanthood. Everybody can't be a leader. There ought to be some servants. In fact, according to God, the great ones among us are those who minister, who are not being ministered to. Service and sacrifice in Jesus' teaching are the credentials of the Christian. And those credentials are motivated by love. You noticed in the first verse that I read, it said he loved them to the end. If you go over to about the 34th verse of the same chapter, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And he said, then by this shall all men know 
that you are my disciples. You have love one to another. He demonstrates this love and this great act of humility because he took the towel as a servant or slave in order to ultimately suffer on the cross sacrificially. By the way, what Adam sacrilegiously did in the garden in disobeying God, Jesus sacrificially reaped on the cross of Calvary. Man sowed, Jesus reaped. And he warns us now, whatsoever you sow, you shall also reap. And service and sacrifice is the credentials of the believer. He took the towel as a servant and suffered the cross and sacrifice. I've often uh, wondered what it must have been like in that room when Jesus walked in. And by the way, none of them offered to wash his feet, not even John the Beloved, the disciple whom he loved. And yet royalty reaches down and takes a rag and a basin of water. He could have taken anything, but he took the rag and a basin of water and washed his disciples' feet. And there, if you behold him, love stooped to his knees and washed the feet of the one who would betray him, who would quickly go out and it would be night. Judas left the basin for his feet to make a noose for his neck. Judas, when he realized what he had done, took the 30 pieces of silver and threw the cold silver on the ground and went out and hanged himself. And then it says it was night. Make no mistake about it, it was night. And it has been thereafter for Judas. The towel in the hand of Christ is akin to the cross in his heart. And he exhibited the faith that no tomb could ever imprison. And he demonstrated a love that no force could ever conquer. He said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And it was love that came obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now that was his mission, and I'm, I'm sort of skimming the mission. You know that he went on from there through the very trials that were already predetermined his guilt when he was absolutely innocent. You remember, don't you, when they ask him, are you the son of God? And he said, thou sayest. You remember when they asked the question, is this Joseph's son whom we know? And the question they were posing is that Jesus was either the blasphemous son of Joseph or he was the blessed son of God. And I can tell you they found out that he was indeed the blessed son of God when he rose from the dead out of that old tomb and kicked the end out of it and made it a thoroughfare to the new Jerusalem. It was as though God took to the microphone and said he is the son of God. And when he went out and gave himself on the cross and suffered and bled and died, I've ever been so thankful that his final words were not, I have failed. His final words were, it is finished. What if his words were, I have failed? And maybe I shouldn't even exercise my thought life in considering that, but what if he would have said in the final hours, I have failed? I can tell you this much, hell would have held high carnival and the devil would have been the victor 
and the angels would have dropped dead on the streets of the celestial city and God would have had to retreat into the eternities of the past never to be heard of again. But thank God he didn't say, I failed. He said, it is finished. And what he meant, he said, I just simply laid the capstone on another most salvation and there is no more need of any more sacrifice. It is finished and you now have access to the heavens. What a savior. I'm glad I know him. Now, if that is his mission, he gives to us the Christian's mandate in verse 15. When he did all of this, he said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Interestingly enough, in verse 8, when Jesus was talking about washing their feet, and Peter, of course, was cried out in protest, you shall never wash my feet. And our Lord just simply replied, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. I don't know what that would do to you, but that would frighten me to death. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part of this with me. And Peter immediately recognized what he was talking about. He said, oh man, not only my feet, my hand, my head. In other words, wash me through and through. I want to be yours. The washing of the feet symbolized the cleansing from all sin that would result when Jesus girded himself with the cross and washed the hearts of men. You know, um, in following his example, I worry sometimes that we have the idea, well, we just have to sort of imitate Jesus. It's utterly impossible to imitate Jesus. In fact, if you want to know what he's saying, I want to live like Jesus through his inhabitants of us. The cleansing results in our being filled with the Spirit and him reproducing his life in you and me. I, uh, if we ever serve as he served, if we ever love as he loved, you cannot do that in the natural. I can tell you that. It's only when we have been cleansed from all of our pride and self-centeredness and our arrogance by the atoning sacrifice that was made on Calvary's cross. Life is a gift from God. And we will one day have to answer to the way we've either invested it or squandered it. But life is a gift from God. And the only investment that God is going to honor when it comes to spiritual life is that which is poured out in the service for others. We do a lot of laboring that has no eternal merit at all. We do a lot of things that has no eternal value. But I can tell you, when you serve others as God serves us, it has eternal implications. You know, uh, religious life can be lived on three different levels. It can be lived on an artificial level. I've seen that. You've seen that. Or on a superficial level. Or on the sacrificial level, which Jesus calls us to. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. And he is calling us to be living sacrifices. Literally his, but still alive. His was a, his, his demanded the blood, death. Every previous sacrifice pointing to Christ, all the lambs and the bulls and the bullocks and all the rest of the sacrifices were brought into the sanctuary and they were slaughtered. When Jesus offered himself, he was the Lamb of God. And he also died. He gave up the ghost and he died. But thank God, 
After death, three days later, he rose again. We do not serve a dead God. We serve a living Christ. In fact, I think it's interesting sometimes you go through the Acts of the Apostles and you will discover every sermon after his resurrection, every sermon that the apostles preached, they never mentioned his crucifixion. They spoke of him as the living Christ following the cross. Oh, it's, by the way, kind of interesting to me. No time is it recorded from the resurrection until the descending of the Holy Spirit that one soul was added to the church. But when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the church, 5,000 another time, and there was added to the church daily such as should be saved. In other words... He didn't merely, doesn't merely want us to imitate Him. He wants to inhabit us until His Spirit works through us. And through that, souls come to know Him. He lived His whole life. Jesus lived His whole life for others. He provided the rivers and the streams for both beast and man to drink. Yet He Himself was thirsty. He provided the cattle lowing in the pasture, and he clothed the field with the grain. But my Bible tells me he himself hungered. He healed thousands of broken hearts, but he had his own heart broken. Being a carpenter's son, no question he helped his dad construct houses for others, but my Bible says he was homeless. Foxes had holes, birds of the air had nests, but the Son of Man had no place to lay his head one day he walked 20 miles in the dusty road to meet a funeral procession so that he could just lay his hand on the casket, if you would, and give a widow's back her son who had passed away. And then he turned right around and walked 20 miles back. He performed miracles for others, none for himself. In living and dying for others, I think he reveals to us the supreme purpose of life. A revelation fact, fact needs a corresponding revelation to interpret it. When Jesus said uh, to Philip one day, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus revealed the Father to the disciples. He came on purpose to do that. But when Jesus died... He sent holy men inspired by the Holy Spirit to give to us a holy word. As Jesus was the final revelation of the Father, this word is the final revelation of Jesus. When you read it, it tells you about Jesus. But I want you to note, uh, people oftentimes ask, what's God like? Well, if you want to know what God's like, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He revealed him to us. However, that being true, if this word reveals Jesus, you know and I know many don't read this word. And so if they don't read the word, how can they know Jesus? Well, Jesus said to us, Christians, I want you to be the salt of the earth. Salt penetrates. He said, I also want you to be the light of the world. Light illuminates. 
But Paul says, I, I want you to be living epistles, living letters read of all men, and those letters communicate. So we are, through our walk with Jesus, through our service to those as Jesus served, are to communicate and be a revelation of the Christ. That's why the hymn writer wrote, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Does the world see Jesus in you? And by the way, if he doesn't, you ought to take inventory. Our hands are ours to do his bidding. Our feet are to run the paths of service for our Lord. Our shoulders are to be broad enough to bear one another's burdens. Our hearts are to love a lost world as he loved you and I. And our minds are to think great thoughts after God's own heart. And in doing all of this, we do it with great humility and not for show. Humility is a very delicate grace. In fact, the moment you speak of having it, it's gone. <laughs> It's unlike any other grace, this thing called humility. And I think Peter exercised that grace one day when Jesus, he saw him down on the seashore and they were mending their nets and all of a sudden he saw Jesus in the light that he'd never seen and he cried out. He said, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You know, the world's philosophy today is go for the gusto. Climb to the heights. See if you can scratch for the top. There's plenty of room up there. That's a fallacy. That's been crowded for years, the top. It's interesting, God doesn't tell us to do that. God said rather, seek the depths, dwell deep. And let me tell you, you can't fall from the bottom. And that's a wonderful thing. The Christian way is the way of the cross. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Pour out your lives, your time, your talents, your gifts, your money, your zeal for others, especially for the glory of God. There's a great old Methodist commentator wrote a whole commentary on the Bible by the name of Dr. Adam Clark of England. He died and they buried him and they put on his tomb an interesting inscription. The tomb shows a candle burned clear down almost to the end with this superscription saying, I give light by being myself consumed. I give light by being myself consumed. The washing of the feet is symbolic to the cleansing baptism that purges the dross from our hearts of all self-centeredness. It will take more than sound doctrine in our mind, as important as that is, and I think it's very important. It'll take more than an experience at an altar to reach a lost world. Because I discovered, and it was so in my own life, I, I didn't know anything about Bible. I didn't know anything about doctrine. I didn't have, even have an experience when I first came into the church, and so all of this was foreign to me. But I do want you to know the practice of selflessness, the ethics of the Christian holy life is the point of vital contact with the world. I was in a church some time ago and as I was standing like here back on the back wall, there was a sign apparently they wanted me to see it. And it says, if I can recall, the world doesn't care how much you know. 
until it knows how much you care. That is true. Because the first instinct for Jesus that came even into my own life was I saw people who showed me a love that I'd never seen before. Showed me a ministry that had never been my experience. Who showed me a kindness and a generosity as a young lad that I'd never witnessed in my life. And if we live as Christ, who is our example, our witness will be clear and the message will be relevant to those around us. When I said to you, the practice of the selfless life is the point of vital contact with the world. We live in the mundane of life. I live in the mundane of life. You live the same place. It's in the walk that we have with Jesus day by day, moment by moment. We don't live in the church. Uh, we aren't always in some kind of a religious seminar. We live out here in a world that's no friend of God or grace. We live in a world that's hard and, and corrupt and dark, if you please. But when you walk in this world as a light that will illuminate it, or a salt that certainly will penetrate it, when they witness our love in a world of hate, and when our joy is displayed before them in a time of sorrow, and our world is facing sorrowing times, and when our peace of God is demonstrated amidst all this turmoil, I want you to know that you're going to make a difference. For a long time, I thought this whole idea of witnessing is going around contacting people. Oh, I'm sure that's a part of it. But I don't think that's nearly the depths of what he means when he says, ye shall be my witnesses. I can only refer you, for example, to give you an idea of why I'm saying this. Over in the book of Job, when the sons of men, sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also. By the way, there's only three places the voice of Satan is recorded in the Bible. It's in the garden when he tempted Eve. It's in Job. And it's also in the wilderness of temptation when Jesus was being tempted. But Satan came also to this council. And God looked at Satan and he said, Have you tried my servant Job, who's a just man who fears God as Jews evil, who's upright? Have you tried him? And I can tell you, folks, the only reason he put Job before him is because I have a witness here that will stand the test of the crucible. And I can put him in the face of Satan and say, there's my witness. And he proved to be a tremendous witness. Have you ever heard the question asked, if you were ever accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? <laughs> Did you hear it? You know, I, uh, I knew a man, I won't give his name. I, uh, way back in my life, worked with him sometimes. And I don't think I ever saw a man ill-treated. I never saw a man that I think people took advantage of, literally stole from, more than this godly man I know. I never saw him one time retaliate. And one day, somebody had taken something and he knew it. He wasn't ignoring all of it. He just knew it. And I said to him, called him by name, I said, why, why do you let them do that? Why do you tolerate that? You know what he said to me? 
He said they don't know Jesus. And he said, I do. And he said, they may may never see Jesus. And he said, I'm going to show them Jesus no matter how hard and how harsh they treat me. And that man walked. I I knew him for years. I never saw this man ever riled, upset, or out of sorts. I want to tell you something. That's a witness. He witnessed to me who didn't even need for him to witness to me because I knew what he was. And that's what God has called you and I. You know, a retaliatory spirit seems to be very prevalent in our world today. But if we live like Christ, our witness will be clear. And when the spirit of long-suffering and gentleness and kindness is expressed in this world amidst all the seething strife, impatience, the beauty of it all speaks for itself. You don't have to parade. You don't have to always say anything. Just be there. And there's a world that's hurting that needs to see Christ in you. Let me just say, if we refuse the towel and the cross, you can never live a life of service and sacrifice. But if you follow the example of Christ, guard closely your relationship. Did you notice in this setting I thought was very telling? When Jesus said there was going to be one betray him, did you notice all the murmurings around those disciples? Who is it? Who do you think it is? Peter looked over to John, who was leaning heavily on the bosom of Jesus, who was his favorite, if you please. John, find out who it is. And he asked him, who is it? The one I give the sop to. But do you know what they were doing? They were taking inventory. Is it me? Would I do that? You remember, don't you? Peter denied him. After this. You know, one day when Jesus looked at Simon Peter, who said, I'm going to go all the way with you, Jesus. I'm going to go to prison. I'll even go to death with you. And then you remember three times he denied him and and that Jesus looked at him, went on into the courtroom and he went out and wept bitterly. Do you know that Jesus told him he was going to do that? Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Do you know the word desire? is a court word, an attorney's word. He desires to have you. In other words, Satan was going to the very courts of heaven, wherever it was, and challenging Christ's right to Simon Peter. And by the way, folks, the battle is in an invisible world that's going on. There are four major influences in life and they're all invisible. The world, the flesh, the devil, and the Holy Spirit. And thank goodness the Holy Spirit is greater than all the rest. But Satan wanted him so bad he was charging and challenging Jesus' rights to him. And then Jesus said, he desires to have you, but he said, I want you. He said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Do you know the word prayed that Jesus used? 
is the same root word as the word desire. And in essence, he's saying, yeah, he's going to the courts challenging my rights on you. He wants you. But he said, I want you, so I'm pressing your case urgently to the Father. I'm glad he wants me. I'm no match for Satan and neither are you. I, I always cringe when I hear people sometimes say, well, I'll just give the devil a black eye. Fooey. That's <laughs> the best Greek word I know for that. <laughs> we overcome only and always by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. He said, I want you. I've left you an example. And by the way, we must, like those disciples did, guard our relationship with Jesus. There's nothing automatic about the Christian walk. I don't care how much you know up here about Scripture. You can quote it from Genesis to Revelation. I don't care how many experiences you've had at an altar. That's incidental, as important as it is. It takes, as Wesley would say, a moment by moment by moment living under the blood of Christ. And if we with one moment withdraw from the blood of Christ, nothing but unholiness remains. When we say, well, we just have to take it a day at a time, preacher. No, 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 you don't. You won't last that long. You walk with him moment by moment. And I had never discovered any lifestyle that demanded more discipline and devotion and denial than the Christian walk. And no one can do that for you, but if you will supply the man, Jesus will supply the grace. He took the towel and suffered the cross. I want to ask you very candidly, are you willing to take the towel and be a love slave to God and righteousness? In fact, Romans tells us in the sixth chapter, the word is doulos. You will either be a servant unto righteousness or you'll be a slave unto sin. I want to be a servant of righteousness. And by the grace of God, we can. Aren't you glad? I'm thankful for what he has done for me. I never read this, but what I have to sort of climb up another notch in my relationship with Jesus when I realize that he... He, the very person of love, the very love and life itself, stooped down. Royalty took a rag and washed their feet. And he said, I've left you an example. Now I must tell you, I don't think he was trying to establish another sacrament like the water baptism or, or communion. I don't think that's what he's saying. But I do think he's saying, you're to be my servant. And a servant is no greater than his master. And a master will be the servant. I wonder this evening if, I think I like that song we sang again this morning, Amy. I'd like for us to sing this hymn, this little chorus. And I wonder if uh, before this meeting comes to close, you know, I, I worry sometimes, and I know that it's a very brief four services that you sit in. Uh, I, I, I'm quite aware of that. But I do think it may be the last revival I'll have or you'll have either one. And I'd like to know that I've done the will of God. I'd like to know that I've been obedient to his voice. 
I don't think your pastor stands here. I don't stand here just to beat our gums and just to talk. This is eternal verities. And it has tremendous implications. And I wonder tonight if you say, I, I, I need to walk in the light of that. Because you do it while the waters are troubled. If you walk away, that water will not be troubled by the time you get home. And this is the moment. He demands instant obedience because delayed obedience is disobedience. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. <clears throat> Father, we have seen so many varied pictures of our Savior. This is one of those pictures that's very graphic where He not only reveals, He rebukes our arrogance, our self-centeredness. And then He gives heaven's definition of what true greatness is. And that's to be a servant, not to be served. We live in a world that loves to be served. We lived in a world that loves to be first. Climbing the ladder of success. Dog eat dog. It's very prevalent. But everything about the life of Christ was contrary to that. And he says, I'm leaving you an example. We cannot live the example without your inhabitants, without your indwelling. Because we discovered a long time ago our outliving is due to your indwelling. I can't live out if it's not in. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, as beautiful as that sermon is and all the principles that's laid down, I cannot keep the Sermon on the Mount unless the preacher of that sermon dwells and lives within. And we are thankful for a lot of good things your Word teaches, but it's impossible to live without you. Help us to be open to what you're saying. As we sing this song, if you feel the need that you'd like to kneel at this altar, feel free. We're not going to hold you. You've sat under service after service. You know where you are. If God speaks to you, mind him. It's a very crucial moment as he sings.